Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Covering the latest 83 weeks featuring a beautiful tribute to Mean Gene Okerlund. Plus, Eric Bischoff is calling in to answer your questions. You listen to them. Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz How can you not shake it to this one, people? That is the voice of one mean Gene Okerlund. Hello and welcome to After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. This is where we break down 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, cover all the big revelations, we get your reactions, and a little while later, like I said before, the one Eric Bischoff will be joining us to answer all of your questions. So let me introduce you to the panel tonight. Say hello to the voice of AfterBuzz TV's SmackDown After Show. Hello, Christian Rosenberg. I want to dance right now. <laughs> it's hard this not to. This is so catchy. <laughs> Let me dance. Hey, I wasn't going to stop you. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, 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 then I'm dancing in my chair. And don't you stop him either, George Hermosa. Hey, I'm George. Hey, hey put that cigarette out. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this is bringing out the best in you guys. Say hello also to the man who runs the YouTube channels of a lot of your favorite uh, WWE legends, including one Eric Bischoff. It's Steve Kaufman. I'm feeling a little scolded for being told to put my cigarette out. <laughs> I thought we were allowed to smoke in here. No. In honor. Nope. nope. All right. Wow, we are so old school today. Yes. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. It's really great to be back with you guys. I've missed you all. I've missed you too. Oh, I was talking to the audience. Oh. <laughs> I should go. No, we had a couple weeks off as After Buzz was shut down for the holidays. The good people around here have to have a little time off. So hope you all had a wonderful time. Or if you didn't, it's over now. And we are back. <laughs> Happy New Year. Of course, uh, in the pro wrestling world, this year kicked off with some bad, uh, some sad news, shall we say, about Mean Gene Okerlund, who has passed, and Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson, uh, very fittingly, decided to do a tribute to him on this week's 83 weeks. We want to remind you guys that we have actually joined them on their YouTube channel, so you can watch us on the 83 Weeks YouTube channel. We are also available on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you look it up after 83 weeks. Subscribe, leave a comment, maybe a little review. I read every single one. So, if you have something nice to say, or something naughty to say, (laughs) and you want to get a message out, that's the way to do it. We love to shout you guys out. And I know that a lot of you... Uh, we're curious to hear what Eric Bischoff would say about Mean Gene Okerlund. He's definitely the guy that we want to hear about Mean Gene from. Is that right? I, I mean, I, definitely so. Just because, you know, obviously Mean Gene being in WCW, even after being in WWF for so long, uh, I feel like they had a lot a lot of time, you know, to spend together. Because I feel like Mean Gene was just such like a, I don't want to say focal point, but he was the guy kind of in charge of getting other guys over. So I feel like mm. he had a lot of input from, you know, a lot of the execs and I'm sure Bischoff as well. And he and he was there as far as the WCW era of, of Mean Gene. So he was there the entire time from them just trying to create something to them being the dominant show 
to being very, very, very bad. But he <laughs> stayed and was the constant heartbeat throughout the entire run. He was, I mean, even though everybody considers Sting a WCW guy from, you know, beginning to then, Mean Gene was that to Nitro, because he was there from the beginning of Nitro pretty much yeah. all the way until almost the end when they kind of went in a different direction. But he was just as important as getting in. And we all can remember uh, Bash at the Beach 96. He mm. was in the ring with the whole Hogan and Hall and Ash, and he, his reaction kind of put that even more over. I also think his, people have been saying it a lot this week, that he always acted as the voice of the audience in a lot of these interviews, especially whether it's an off-the-wall heel or babyface. Like, he would very much be the voice of the audience and talk back of, like, this is insane, or why are you saying this, in a way that we don't really get anymore. No, we don't. Like, not even a little. No. <laughs> not, Sorry. Like, not, like, not at all. Yeah. Well, let's go back to uh, the early uh, before he was so mean, and he was just uh, he was such just a mean, mean. guy. He, was, he w- never was mean. I meant with the little air quotes. Before he was <laughs> mean, uh, uh, Gene worked for the AWA until 1984, and I was really interested to hear Bischoff's take on this because you know now that we've lost someone like Gene, and and I'm sure he's told his story umpteen times, but to hear from someone who had a very, very, very similar entrance into the business, what his take was that you know, Vern Gagne would have loved Gene's voice, and and it really felt like hearing kind of a, kind of a behind-the-scenes account, even though Bischoff maybe wasn't necessarily there at the time. Every sport would love to have Mean Gene's voice mm. as an interviewer, <laughs> not just Vern Gagne. Right. <laughs> he, he had the, like, that is the definition of the reporter, like, the analyst, the interviewer. Mm-hmm. That is the demeanor, that is the voice, that is the cadence that you want in that sport. And wrestling was lucky enough to have it. Very true. Aww, that's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. Rosenberg, I like that. Once in a while, I say nice things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also got sort of the behind-the-scenes story on Gene coming into WCW, which I guess we have Eric Bischoff to thank for. Mm-hmm. We didn't know at this time it was like 1993-ish, so Conrad asked him, like, were you were you a stick man then, Bischoff? Were you running the show? And Bischoff confirms that he was that he was sort of the one who brought Mean Gene in to WCW. I mean, he was available, so why not bring him in? Mm. You know, I mean, I, I think obviously that was the same time that Vince kind of wanted to go in a different direction for the WWF, the new generation. And I don't think I don't think it was so much Gene didn't fit the mold. It was like. God, I think we got to pay him a lot of money because you know <laughs> he, he's he's one of our loyal employees. It's like, and I'm sure they worked something. Out. I'm sure Gene appreciated the less days uh, for the month. Mm-hmm. I think I think Bischoff said maybe four days or five. Days it was a it month was it was, was pretty much the Mondays and the one paper. But that was that was that was later when he came back yeah. to WCW. And even, yeah. even before Nitro, it was like a Saturday night taping where it was like three episodes a day, yeah. an occasional Clash of the Champions, and a pay per view. Like that's a pretty sick schedule to have. Mm. Yeah, for the, for similar to what WWF is paying you. With the respect and with the respect and prowess that comes with being Mean Gene Okerlund, which mm-hmm. WWF was going in another direction where that they didn't want him. Is they, he was a Florida guy. Is that what we saying? I think they were saying that he was. Florida. Yeah, he didn't want to move to Stanford. That too. Yeah, that they might needed him. They might have needed him to move to Stanford. They might have needed him. That there were a lot. There were a lot of reasons that it was a good move for him. Mm-hmm. And I think as we're as we're seeing in the wrestling world starting today, <laughs> competition is good because then it rises the tide. Yes. 
Absolutely, you are referring to uh, All Elite Wrestling, for those who haven't heard. But uh, that's that's none of our business over here on After 83 (laughs) Weeks, as much as I'm sure we would love to talk about it. Uh, We got a few more little tidbits. I am so fascinated by the whole hotline thing. I don't know if everyone else thinks like Labe, who, who gives it whatever, but like... That was the juicy scoop back in the day. And um, he has talked about it. Bishop talked about it a little bit before when he brought Gene in. But this time he dropped a little tidbit that Gene got about 30 to 35 He got about a third. He got a third of what they made on the hotline. That's major. That's insane. Insane in what way? You've got to think. So it was $1.99 for the first minute, 99 cents for each additional minute. So let's just say it was the average person was on for two minutes. Uh Uh-huh. That's $1 for every call yeah. that went on there. And there were probably was a point where at its peak, they probably got thousands and thousands of calls Absolutely. each week. No, but you're saying it's ridiculous, like, in a good way? Like, oh, oh my God, yeah, I'm so no, happy for- on how okay. much money he got oh, for okay. it. <laughs> I thought you were saying, like, it's ridiculous they're giving him that much. Or, like, I think... Oh, God. But as, a, as a businessman, that's what you're supposed to do. If you can find someone a revenue stream, if you ever want someone to talk to you, Tell them, hey, I found you in a revenue stream that you are currently – there's money you're currently not making that you need only let me enable you well, when, to well, enable me. Well, when you think about how, like, there are, like, a number of wrestlers today who, if for ones that are lucky enough to get a percentage of their merch sales, mm. it's, like, 1% or 2%. Of course. Can you imagine someone today that? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I have a question for you guys. Did you guys ever call the hotline? Because I got my parents' permission, and she said no. No. So did you guys? So you didn't, well, then, therefore Wait, you so didn't you get permission. Didn't well, I mean, I asked, but you she asked said no. Your parents. Because that's the thing. Oh, make sure you get parents' permission. Cool, mom. Can I call? Nope. I. So I'm curious if you guys. Ever I, I, your I, poor I, mother probably I, had such well, bigger things well, I, to worry about with her sad little wrestling fan son. I, re- I remember. I, I remember. I would. I, I would, sad, I I would try happy. to call in. I would try to, and I was like thinking maybe I'll sneak it, and like just before you were gonna hit the option for it, like to start where it start charging, yeah. I would get too scared and hung in because <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to get grounded. I didn't watch Nitro until really pr- pretty late into the '90s, and I was a kid of the internet by that point. The, the hotline was there was I had enough access to other dirt that wasn't the hotline. And I always liked those commercials <laughs> too, where you had Mean Gene kind of sneaking around in the locker room <laughs> yes. with, with his the, phone, with the binoculars. Out. Yeah, I was like, oh. Classic Gene. <laughs> Although, do you think he was angry Gene? And you're like, oh, that doesn't really sound good. We'll just go with mean Gene. Disgruntled Gene. No? Perplexed that joke Gene. is not funny at all. No. All right. No, we can move on. We're going to try. I'm going to put new words in that. We were, doing, Gene. Gonna work. we were doing really well <laughs> until you started. I'm going yes. to try putting new words in that joke so it can be funny. We, have, we have terrible things to say about that joke. Un- <laughs> unlike how Gene did not have terrible things to say. Whatever. Seg- insert segue here. <laughs> sure. Eric Bischoff dropped kind of the tidbit that Gene didn't have a negative thing to say about Vince or WWF when he came in. That a lot of people come and they saw of say what they think WCW wants to hear and maybe they're throwing who knows who from WWF under the bus but that Gene didn't do that and that's something that to this day sticks out in Eric Bischoff's mind. So how much of that do we think is in the later years that Eric as a character on television versus Eric as the producer Mm -hmm. by the time people make it to WCW they think they're one and the same. So people who come in the WCW from WWF and think that they need to trash the competition to Eric specifically. Mm -hmm. That I think a lot of that comes from this misunderstanding of who Eric is as a person. That for him to, because he was saying from experience that a lot of people come in from the WWF and talk a lot of trash. Yeah. And I think what he's getting at is 
mean, a mean gene did it because he left very amicably and had nothing i don't think he has very mean things to say about anyone mm-hmm. but i also i don't know i i also think part of why people feel they need to say that is because they feel that that's what eric wants right which I, from this show it doesn't sound like the truth Right, because uh, there's a lot of people out there, obviously it was very different 20, 30 years ago when they didn't have social media, but a lot of times now people leave and they have a lot of bad things to say and they get a lot of attention from that. They get a lot of interviews, they maybe get some spots, they maybe get some visits, people want to talk to them, people want to ask them, what happened, what did you see? And just to know that after all those years, that's what stood out to Eric Bischoff, that Mean Gene did not do that, is something that I encourage you know everybody out there to think about. I know I will. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> think about it. Just saying. I'll try that and see. That's my 2019 resolution. To think. To just think about it. Just think about it. To think about maybe possibly. Yeah. Just try to think about maybe possibly not trash WWF. Well, I was just saying the competition. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, who's after Buzz's competition? We have no Nobody. competition. Nobody. We that's are the right. ESPN of TV talk. We are. <laughs> you said that so weird. <laughs> I did because I'm because um, I'm reading. You know, there oh, will never be. <laughs> that's great for podcasts. Um, when you reading? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, by the way, yeah. let's screw over that Fox Sports of TV talk. We are the ESPN of TV yeah. talk. That. And Gene, Mean Gene was the best when it came to improv. This is something that we want to hear from somebody who is working behind the scenes. You know, we see what made it to TV. And maybe sometimes you wonder, like, was that scripted? Was I, that a I, spot? So, Did they pre-plan this? So I kind of said it. Sorry, I totally interrupted you. Go for uh, it. But I, I kind of said it. Obviously, when when, when I when we first started the show. So I have this thing where uh, they asked Pritchard, and Pritchard wasn't there for Royal Rumble '92 when mm. he said the infamous hey, "put that cigarette out" for the Ric Flair's uh, promo, where he was like, oh, "I'm sure somebody was smoking around in the area. You know, somebody would maybe had a cigarette of Mean Gene. I don't think anybody was smoking. I think that was Mean Gene totally being Mr. Improv." Because if you think about it, Vince was a lot more hands-on around those days. And if there's one thing that everybody knows that Vince hates, it's smoking. Vince mm-hmm. can't stand cigarette smoke. So for anybody to smoke in that area, I guarantee you nobody was smoking. I think that was just mean Gene just going to say something to maybe even pop himself. I do it all the time to pop himself or even pop the boys where he's like, you know what? I'm going to say something totally random in this amazing promo because nobody remembers that. Right? They do. But everybody remembers that. That's my all-time with, favorite with promo. With the tear in my eye. That's, like, that's my that's all-time favorite wrestling but promo. that, you know, maybe the best Ric Flair promo ever. But uh, again, they'll put that cigarette out. I think that was 100%. 100% Gene being, you know, improv, and well, I, I, that's well, one of my I th- favorite I think, moments. I think all four of them in that, as far as Gene, Flair, Perfect, and Heenan, that was all improv. And then yeah, that wasn't going to be bad. No. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, obviously, when they certainly talked about Hogan, Nash, and Hall with the whole NWO mm-hmm. um, forming, but the fact that that was all improv baffled me. Mm-hmm. Really? I, the Bash of the Beach? Yes. Yeah. I as I a annoy- seasoned improv actor. Seasoned is a very actor. strong word. <laughs> um, so is actor, apparently. Hey, I act like I'm interested in what you're saying. Anyway, oh. Oh, no, no, I was just kind of going off what she was oh, saying, okay. but whatever. <laughs> nah, that was just me. Bazinga! I, yeah. We are sassy. Today. Mean oh, Rosenberg, and apparently taking the reins. Someone's got it. But um, no, but I mean, like the fact that that's such a major moment in in wrestling history. The moment that the top hero has become the top heel like that. Mm-hmm. Trash being thrown. Never seen anything to that nature. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a set plan. Well, that's not that's not something you can put on the rundown, though. 
Well, you, you can't put the yeah. debris in the ring. No, but two but, guys in the locker room can have a conversation. But, true. but they can be like, okay, I'm going to ask you, how could you do this? You, All right, we'll get a response from you, get a response. Apparently, none of that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's such an iconic moment. Mm-hmm. And it went on for several minutes, actually. Mm-hmm. And just the, the, just the disdain and... You felt bad for Mean Gene, <laughs> the way it was all conveyed, because of how close he's been for all those years with Hogan. Right. I I don't. I also think because Eric talks a lot about how he wants a genuine reaction versus a scripted reaction. Mm-hmm. So this strikes me as something he and very few people knew what the term was going to happen. He had complete faith in Mean Gene mm-hmm. that he just wrote it as this is going to happen. Mean Gene's going to come in there and get a response. Mm-hmm. And then it all just kind of happened naturally. That I think I don't. I'm not shocked at all that that was his plan. That this always seems to be his plan of just throw him out there, see what happens. I agree. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I mean, if anybody can pull it off, it was Mean Gene. Yes, like, I just think he was just so great. And even like little tiny nuances where you know, going back to the Pritchard show, and even today, just like his his. his how can I say like just he just loved to pop people you know just mm. whether it's throwing things in there even going back to like the WrestleMania 9 press conference um, and this is so random maybe even 1% of people might get a kick out of it but Money Inc you know IRS and Ted DiBiase were, were on the were on the panel talking oh you know at WrestleMania 9 whatever and IRS comes in at the end and says and don't forget to pay your taxes if you see Mean Gene he acts like that's the worst thing anybody's ever said. He's like, oh, that's unbelievable. Right? <laughs> like, you know, just look at his reaction. I'll, I'll send it to you guys personally and just be like, you'll see his reaction and be like, ah, classic mean gene. Well, uh, shortly after that Bash at the Beach in 96 promo with Hulk Hogan, mean gene kind of disappears from WCW television. And this apparently is something that there haven't been a lot of details offered up about before. But Eric uh, Bischoff gave us sort of the whole rundown and just explained it was negotiation. That's all it was. He, he made it sound very uh, low drama. Which, when you think of someone who is such a staple of programming and, mm-hmm. and so important in so many different ways to the show, but it was sort of like, yeah, so we let him off TV for a while while we negotiated, no big deal. I thought that was surprising. I didn't even notice he was gone, to be honest with you. At <laughs> I had time. no idea. Yeah. Well, and it also sounds like they were planning around the possibility that he'd be gone for weeks so that the TV wasn't running, the TV wasn't running scared. Whereas, like, if Mean Gene's not here in three weeks, he... He may not be here ever again. Let's be prepared. But he might come back, and then let's leave a spot for him if he comes back. I I think there aren't many people in the wrestling business who get that kind of leeway in a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Like, he's such a good guy, and I think if you were to speak to him about it personally, he'd be like, I I trust my agent. This is what my agent says we have to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and he even mentioned a lot that if an agent's involved, then an agent's involved. You don't talk to the talent. Mm-hmm. That's what the that's that's what you're paying your lawyer, and that's what they're paying their lawyer to do is talk on each other's behalf. Oh yeah, and then never involve each other. And before I, Ryan Seacrest, the hardest working man in entertainment, was Barry Bloom. Yes, <laughs> very true. Well, very true because that. But I think <laughs> I think a lot of people like to give disdain to a lawyer or an agent at the idea of oh now you have to deal with his agent or his his people, and right. it's. Like, no, but you, you have to understand, like, if you hire me for a job, you have to deal with me daily. And I don't want to have a knockdown, drag out fight before you ever even have to deal with me in a professional setting. Which, that depending on the money, depending on where we have to be, depending on what I'm worth, that might be what we have to have. And I, I don't know. Minjin strikes me as, like, one of the few people who've handled it correctly. 
And just yeah. like you speak to my attorney. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. <laughs> I like you. I'll still like. <laughs> well, st- I, I like you. You're great people. Well, apparently it worked for him. Yeah. Because this is perhaps one of the most shocking moments ever on 83 Weeks. A huge surprise. Something we have rarely heard on this show in all the many episodes. Uh Eric Bischoff confirms the Dave Meltzer report, says that he (laughs) was right. He actually, to quote him, he said, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) This is in reference to uh, Mean Gene's contract, as you kind of mentioned before, whittling down at this point to just four TVs a week, uh, a month, and the one pay-per-view, he was working five days a a month, and it was a pretty sweet deal. And Dave Meltzer had all the juicy scoop for you guys back in the day. I don't know what to think anymore. Right? (laughs) I mean, it just makes you guys sense, are though. But, but he's saying, he's like, never but it, supposed to be right. But it makes sense, though. Like, there's not much to be wrong about. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's not like they were. It's not like he had to be on the house. You look. It's not like he was a ring announcer. Mm-hmm. You know that that'd be maybe a different schedule. But he was just there to conduct interviews and you know put. People so we over. are still not giving Meltzer credit. We I think won't. You just it's like, it's this like one? thank you, Captain no, I, Obvious. Like, no. well, yeah, I know. <laughs> no. I think the reporting could have been a little more obvious. Like that's like that's like you hiring a wrestler and be like, "Could we safe to say that uh, that you're going to be working Mondays and you know the weekend loops?" You know, like right. yeah, it well, makes like uh, no duh. That's kind of that is kind of like reporting. That I, I hear Brock Lesnar only works a handful of dates. Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I watch TV. I've seen the dates. I'm not going to give Meltzer credit for that. It's like <laughs> I'll All give right, him the credit. Try- it's still reporting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, now he can officially never say that Bischoff never gave him credit for, for any of his uh, articles, because that was definitely one. Something else that Bischoff said that I found really interesting at this point was he explained Mean Gene, the sort of genius, as that he could have fun with the boys without making fun of them. Mm-hmm. And I think for for people who don't really, who don't know a lot about the psychology of like a backstage interview, that makes a lot of sense. And that told if I didn't know about backstage interview <laughs> psychology, that would I would have been like, oh wow, okay, yeah, that makes sense. What we all just know everything, so that makes no, sense. No, you to tell us? me honestly. Like, no, I want to know more about your input. Yeah, like, I what, do what, what know are some things that like you saw that Mean Gene did that are just simple for formulaic that maybe the us non backstage interviewers might not know. I want to know your input. Yeah. Well, some of the things that you guys have kind of mentioned as you're memor- remembering him is the little things, the reactions, maybe more so what he doesn't say than what he did say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what stands out. Is it was always authentic. And I remember uh, a producer telling me once, you can bury a guy with a look. Yes. That's this true. is when I, when I knew nothing, yeah. and that was such like an epiphany for me. And, and I think that's what Mean Gene understood and sort of let all the viewers know how we should feel about someone by the way that he conducted himself in an interview with them. I also think his follow-up questions were something. The, <laughs> like, he always had something else on the same path that was what they just... So he just, like, listened right. res- and then responded with another question. And it was also always just smooth. It was always smooth on how he would pitch it back. Yes. Um, you know, like, it, 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 it could be... There could be a brawl happening right behind him. It's like, we're going to get security to separate these two. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll still have the match later on. Tony, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I, I wish more people were creative with Mean Gene, though. I feel like we only remember kind of two guys 
really that really you know put Mean Gene in their intro was just a let me tell you something Mean Gene or the Mean Woo my God Woo Gene you know I feel like more people I wish more people would have done that you I know? mean to be I don't think maybe any, it's Hogan Flair maybe well, the only one that can do well, it well no but, but the Randy Savage Savage the, well the Savage includes him in a way that isn't just in the intro like, I think Savage, he included more so in the actual interview well because yeah. Savage and, Savage played off of someone like Mean Gene in a way where it's like he like when I play with the cream or the coffee like. He Savage knew that Mean Gene was going to respond to it, and it was going to be the whole interview. Mm-hmm. Right. That, 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 like, you can't get that from everyone. Well, reportedly, Gene was a bit of a perfectionist, and Bischoff says he could have a temper, but that it was almost sort of comical when he would get hot with people. I don't, I don't mean to sound, like, demeaning to Mean Gene, but I, I could see how him getting mad would just sort of be cute and, and funny. <laughs> and I, I think just because he was such a genuine, gentlemanly kind of a guy that to see him as someone who could have a temper is... Well, I, well, I love how cute. they emphasize how he was such a perfectionist, too. Yeah. And I mean, I can because I know I know there have been times where I, I might like be, getting like riled up because I'm trying to do something for some big some show or whatever it may be, and someone else or just something or an object is you know for some reason like not cooperating, and you know and obviously it's it's frustrating you because you're you're you know just so so into your your craft you're right. into what you want to convey that you don't want anything to demean it or mm-hmm. diminish it. Uh, so I can see if for some reason, if it was getting ready to interview a wrestler, but for some reason they're like, you know, in the bathroom and, oh no, we got to film this thing and him getting like frustrated, not necessarily angry at that wrestler for having to use the restroom, but it's just like, oh, okay, okay, no, we, this, this has got to get done. Where is he? Where is he? We got to do this. We got to do this. I like how you gave it a whole scenario. <laughs> I, I do I, that. I also compare that to some people react to, I don't want to say extreme trauma, but like extreme situations in extreme manner. Like, I always remember uh, Donovan McNabb, when he was the head, uh, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, he would throw an interception and then just laugh hysterically. Yeah, that's just, not good. But, he, but it would be a polar opposite reaction. Yeah. Whereas instead of just being so frustrated that he probably wants to smash his helmet on a table. Yeah. He'd rather just laugh like it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. Well, Mean Gene came from one WWF, (laughs) and apparently this was a little kind of point of contention. We all know, either we've heard or we know firsthand how it runs over there, and we all know it's a tight ship. They got their stuff together. They got their schedule down, and that Bischoff heard a lot from Mean Gene about how, I mean, I can just sort of hear him in his voice like, "Uh, Vince wouldn't do it this way. Like, we would not be on time. Like, we do not have the right equipment. And as someone who... Uh, worked with someone who just had come from WWE from working there in a situation that I was in a couple years ago, working with this person who had worked at WWE for 20 years and then came to kind of trying to do their own production and the expectations that person had, um, the high expectations they had, again, expecting sort of perfectionism and just expecting people to perform at the most highest level that humans can perform. And I remember being blown away like, oh, crap like is that how it runs over there is that what this person is used to wow mm. yep <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how you want you to said respond it. To I, was opening, I was opening that up Sorry. for you guys to say anything that you wanted but you didn't so no i mean i mean you said it <laughs> you said everything there's, there's but let me talk about my biggest regret uh then <laughs> all right i went to the los angeles valley college uh mm. back in you know the day and they had an a Mean Jeans Burgers. Yes. So oh, yes. I would yeah. I would frequently visit Mean Jeans Burgers to eat for lunch, you know. And one day 
guess who was there signing? Mean Gene Okerlund. (laughs) And stupid George didn't even say hello, not even an autograph. Just saw a line where like, I'll be back in a bit when the line dies down. I come back, he's gone. I mean, regret. Did you want a burger or did you want to meet Mean Gene? I wanted to meet Mean Gene. Okay. Well, if you wanted a burger, y'all can still get one way over there in Guam. On what? a naval base. Let's go. Going to Guam. Mean Going to Guam. Burger, and it currently I mean, has I'll, a 2.5 star rating. I mean, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, like, it really isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't good at all. I'm sorry, Mean Gene, but the burger wasn't good. Uh, but, I mean, I'll go I'll go just for, just to say I have it one more time. Uh, is Pasta Mania still around, though? I hope not. Is Guam okay. in Texas? No. Is it a, ro- is yeah, it a road trip? Guam is next to, like, Inglewood, right? All right. Yes, well, no. you, guys, okay. you guys can still get Mean Gene Kelton and the Diehards. Mean Gene's album on Amazon, on a bunch of other. I wonder how the numbers sites. have been. Those no, numbers actually. have to be obscene, obscene by now. They, like they now, had to. You think you got a little R. Kelly bump? Oof! Not for the same reason. <laughs> Oof! You think R. Kelly got more? His, more? his numbers skyrocketed. He did. His, his yeah. numbers they skyrocketed. Did. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. his name trended. It happens. But uh, we have a we have a way more important and um, <laughs> far less controversial, <laughs> well, even even than that man to chat with. Well, so in. Oh, I was going to say, because uh, I, I want I, do, I wanted to say one more quick thing about Oof. Mean Gene. Oh, go for it. I didn't know we were wrapping up right there. Well, we have <laughs> to because my headphones aren't working, and we only have two minutes before we get Eric Bischoff well, well, on the line. Well, this will be 30 seconds. <laughs> um, uh, our After Buzz co-host, Johnny, uh, John LaCroix, host the Monday Night Raw After Show. I feel like you really said it best in a tweet that Mean Gene was the constant in the chaos. Mm. Um, he was the tour guide mm-hmm. for us growing up, kids and adults. To guide us through, we watch him have fun. We watch him laugh and dance and make fun of Bobby Heenan. And I remember someone earlier this week tweeting out like a video clip about like the seriousness back when like Hogan had his ribs broken by earthquake and the genuine sorrow and and worrisome. He conveyed any emotion possible. And they've all said there will never be another interviewer like him. And they are right. That was a long tweet by Laquasto. Well, that was the entire tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, guys, we will be back in just a minute with Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. All right, guys, mics are muted. Getting Eric on the line. Okay. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good. Um, just uh, fixing something in the studio real quick. Stand by. That's a little too dark. 
All right, here we go. Eric, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, sorry about that. Just had to do a quick fix in the studio. We're ready to go. Uh, Christy, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Okay, here we go. Coming back on the wide shot in three, two, Welcome back, guys. Joining us now on the line is the host of 83 Weeks, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Hello, sir, and a belated happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. I hope you had a great New Year's Eve, and you're looking forward to a happy New Year. I know I am. We certainly are. To, uh, you know, chat with us a little bit. How does Eric Bischoff spend his time off on the during the holidays, or uh, do you get crazy in the New Year? No, I mean, it was really quiet. Um, first of all, we live in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. So it's quiet here no matter what. But it was just my wife and I and our daughter came in. Um, for, she lives in Marina Del Rey. So she came in uh, for the week. And then she left right before New Year's. And it was just uh, Mrs. B and I all alone with the dog. We were in bed by 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh... The rest the rest of it is a Bluetooth promo. Oh, I'm not there it do is. It. <laughs> oh, I was waiting, I'm waiting for, that. for that. I was waiting for well, that. Well, he's, he's saving that for saving that for the 83 week show, not the after 83 week show. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Try to keep it clean here. <laughs> well, we appreciate you jumping back on with us after a couple of weeks. We we missed a couple of episodes there, but they were very juicy. So thank you for that. And I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback from the fans the last couple of weeks on uh, things they were wondering, things they wanted you to clarify, things they want to hear more from you about. I mean, we did. (laughs) And I was kind of surprised in a way. I didn't think the Starcade episodes would get the kind of reaction that they did. Um, But my Twitter feed was pretty much full, you know, for the last three or four weeks because of those Starcade episodes. So it was great. And then, you know, unfortunately, we, we lost Gene, you know, last week, and this week we decided to kind of veer off the, the normal path and, and do a tribute show for Gene. So it's been a it's been a good couple of weeks for the podcast. Yeah, it was really great to hear your, your take on all of that and kind of hear some of the juicy stuff about how he came in and, and what your experience was there with Mean Gene. We have a fan question from Will D., who was still wondering after listening to your great episode. He said, was there a performer that Gene particularly enjoyed working with? Like fans, of course, always note that he had the most memorable interviews with Hogan, Flair, and Savage. But was there someone that he just really loved to get in those backstage interviews with? I don't think there was anybody in, in particular that would stand out beyond the gentleman that you, you mentioned. Roddy Piper was clearly, you know, in that same um, category as well. Uh, he loved working with, with Roddy. Um, but, you know, Gene loved working with a lot of the younger talent, too. Um, he didn't talk about that much. But in terms of just having fun and coaching, and, you know, I, I've talked about it a lot, it seems like, the last few days. <clears throat> but Gene was... Gene was self-taught to, to a large degree. He was trained by Vern Gagne. He came up in the Vern Gagne system, and, and much like I did, in fact, very much like I did. And and I understand what that is, having gone through it myself. And you you're taught a little bit, but you you're really learning as you're going. And you're learning though from a master. You're in, in Gene's case and in mine. We were learning in a situation that taught you how to improv. It taught you how to, 
keep the talent on track and going in the right direction <clears throat> and making sure that a promo or an interview at the very end does what it's supposed to do, which is sell what's coming up next, whether it's a live event or pay-per-view or whatever. Gene was a master at that. And, you know, when I, when I think about him and I think about all of the contributions he made, that's, that's the thing that I think about the most. And I can go on and on talking about all the great things about Gene Oakland. He was a master. He really was. You had mentioned on this episode of this show that you never really talked to him about Vern Gagne and how um, he ended his career there. When something like this happens and you no longer have the opportunity to talk to these guys, do you ever think like, oh, man, there was something I really wanted to ask so-and-so or that I really wish I would have said to someone like a Gene Okerlund? There's things I wish I you know, would have said, obviously. you know, And it's a sad lesson you learn as you get older, you know, as more and more of your peers and family and, and, and you know we all get older we all go through that process and we find ourselves I'll speak for myself I found myself in the past you know wishing I would have just had one more opportunity to say a few things to whether it's a family member or a friend or you know Gene is certainly in that category as a friend um, but yeah I mean I'd like to have <clears throat> one more cocktail with him and, and reminisce one more time but not because there's any single thing I really want to know that only Gene could answer. Um, Gene, Gene didn't talk about people. He didn't bring up the past in any kind of a negative way. He would bring up the past in a positive way, whether it was about Vern or working for WWF when he came to work for me or whatever. He never had a bad thing to say, really, about the people that he worked for. He's very loyal in that respect. So to switch gears to some of the questions we haven't had a chance to ask, you were recently at a signing with the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> Have you spoken to him about your comments, I believe, two weeks ago, where you mentioned that you fired – how you fired him? No. <clears throat> uh, you know, first of all, in a situation like – there were 18 of us in a, in a sporting goods store, in a sports shop, memorabilia shop, a really nice one too, by the way, um, in Friendswood, Texas, over at the Bayshore Mall, I think it was called. Uh, Fitterman Sports, plug. Um, and so there was 18 of us mm. in there, and there were wrestling fans in there, and it was busy. And, you know, the, from the minute we they opened the doors to the minute we were done, and it was just, you know, elbow to elbow in there. So we didn't – very few opportunities to talk to anybody. Mm. And certainly I didn't have anything <laughs> to say to, to Honky Tonk Man. And I don't think he had anything to say to me either. So <laughs> we didn't go out of each our, our ways to uh, to bump into each other. I was sitting right next to Brutus, and that moron didn't say a word. <laughs> he's he's kind of like a human tree stump anyway. I didn't expect much conversation out of him. That's funny. Uh, when you think of Maine Gene and the WWF, you think of those old school kind of pre-tape promos. I can't, I can't help myself. <laughs> and we love it. The, the stuff just comes out of my mouth. Before this is why we want to talk to you yeah. every week, Eric. We want this stuff. Uh, but when you think uh, of the, right. the, Mean Gene and the WWF, you think of those old school pre-tape promos. But on WCW, I think of kind of that live feel, you know, right at the top of the entranceway with the nitro background. Mean Gene conducting his interviews. Whose idea was that as far as like making sure that he always got those live in front of the nitro logo, in front of the nitro entrance? Was that a Mean Gene thing or was that like a, like a Bischoff idea? No, that was mine. And that <clears throat> this is kind of a problem that I'm, I don't know if it gets discussed anymore, but it used to be, you know, a topic of discussion, you know, at every other television production meeting. You've got two big challenges. Uh, well, you've got more than that. But the, the, the ones you have to think about when you're laying out a television show, number one, you have to entertain the audience. 
And you have to be able to do that and also force in, you know, God knows how many six-minute commercial breaks. Well, every time you go to a commercial break, you know, the, you're taking the, the television audience kind of out of the moment. And you're giving them an opportunity to get up and go to the restroom or change the channel or take the dog outside or whatever, right? So, And you know that. You know you've got to hold that audience as best you can. The same is true in the live show. Um, only, you know, in the live environment, you're getting a crowd up. You know, you got pyro. You got people throwing T-shirts at them. You got talent making faces at them. You're doing everything you can, right, to get a reaction out of that crowd. And then once the match starts, you're doing everything you can to get them excited about what they're seeing going on on the stage or in the ring, in our case. But once the match is over and you go to commercial break, the people in the arena are sitting around going like this. You lose them. Now, that is exacerbated, made worse, just in case Brutus the Barber Beefcake is watching. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exacerbated when you've got a lot of backstage segments. Now you're not only taking the crowd out of the moment and out of the action and make them sit on their hands for five or six minutes of a commercial break. You come out of that commercial break and you go to a backstage promo that takes another two minutes or longer. Now all of a sudden you've, you've lost your student, your arena audience for up to eight or 10 minutes. And it's really hard to get it back to maintain that level of energy you want for the television audience. So my thinking when we went live was that I wanted everything to be live that possibly could. Sometimes we'd have to pre-tape things. Sometimes it was better to pre-tape things, depending on what the scene was. But unless it was something that really needed to be pre-taped, I much preferred we, do, we did everything in front of the audience. One, because the television audience <clears throat> sees it as it's happening. You get a crowd reacting to it. And two, I didn't lose the arena audience. Did I just kill the entire show with that explanation? Dude, honestly, I'm not, I, I swear to God, I'm not kissing ass here. I think that's genius. I love <laughs> it. I swear to God, like, like once an episode or so, you say some stuff, whether it's why the Hollywood Blondes split up. Okay, more than once. I'm not, you know. But, I was going to say. You know, <laughs> but, like, little things like that where I'm like, oh, my God, like, I never would have thought of that scenario. And I think that explanation on why it was live i think it's honestly i'm baffled at how genius it is i feel like <laughs> I, I can speak for myself where i while you were describing that i was sitting of all the times i've been to a monday night raw taping sitting on my hands <laughs> for eight to ten minutes yeah for like more than like 15 to 20 minutes like they go mm -hmm. they go well, and, it, and it feels like forever because they get you up here and it's wow it's <laughs> yeah. a match and it's all kind of schmas and okay we're gonna go to commercial break <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what just happened? You know, that's how the Nitro Girls came came mm. to be. By the way, um, the idea was that the Nitro Girls we call them bumpers in television. I don't know what you call them in radio. Not not the girls themselves, people. <laughs> not the girls themselves. <laughs> We're grinders, not bumpers. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, the the Nitro Girls actually became a part of the show. We. We'd use them right before we'd go to a commercial break, much like the NFL or NBA uses cheerleaders. And we'd get the girls out on camera so the audience could see, oh, wow, there's something going on in that arena. That also kind of helped us with ticket sales, too, because the, the, our events, our Nitro events, begin to look like a party. And it's a lot easier to get people to come to a party than it is to an event. <clears throat> so the Nitro girls, we'd bring them out right before we go to a commercial break. They'd start their dance. We go to the commercial break. Well, the, the Nitro girls were really good at keeping the audience entertained for that 
five or six minutes during that commercial break. And then we made sure we'd come back from the commercial break, and then we'd see the, the Nitro girls finishing up their routine for like 15 or 20 seconds. So we'd bumper them into a commercial, and we would bumper them out of the commercial. But that was one really great way of keeping the audience alive. Did, did Gene flirt with the Nitro girls? <laughs> Man whore. <laughs> Well, I, I, w- I would also think, you know, with the live audience, because also in the crowd, he, he would he would be doing the 900 plug in front of the live <laughs> audience as well. So who knows, during commercials, some if, if some people had cell phones back then, they might have tried, you know, mm-hmm. calling. I was kind of curious because I was fascinated with the percentage that you mentioned that Gene was receiving for um, the hotline. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, at its peak... Do you remember, like, whether it was a specific day or a week or a month as far as, like, the numbers for the hotline and just, like, how successful did it truly be, did it truly get? It, it got into <clears throat> mid-six figures um, per quarter. Jeez. Wow. So, uh, and, and I, you know, I was explaining this to Conrad. I don't know if you caught it during the podcast. But, you know, you go back to 93, 94 in particular, you know, when Gene was really driving that podcast, or excuse me, the uh, 900 line hard. You know, that was a time when WCW was counting little, literally every nickel going out and every nickel coming in. Um, we were trying so hard to right the ship and at least break even. You know, that was the mandate in 94, to get as close as you can to break even. So you do that by controlling all your expenses, but also by increasing your revenue streams. Now, the 900 line was a revenue stream that we never had before. Nobody thought of it. Technology wasn't there, whatever. The reason was we didn't have it. So when Gene came in and he said, hey, I want to do this 900 line, and here's what I think you can do. Um, I'll do all the work. I'll take 35% of the, you know, a 35% rip, and you guys get the rest. I'm thinking, well, I don't already have it. It's revenue that I don't already have. It's like someone coming to your house and saying, look, you know, do you have $1,000 in your pocket? No, you don't? Well, here's $1,000. I'll give you this $1,000 if you give 3500 or $350 of it back to me. Well, I'm up 650 bucks, <laughs> <laughs> So I don't really care. <laughs> if you could make that work day in and day out, you know, come find me. I'm, I'm your guy, and that's that's how that worked. And it was a it was it wasn't like it was millions and millions of dollars, like international television sales or pay per view sales, obviously, but it was probably more important in some respects because it was a new revenue stream, and it showed growth. It showed Turner Broadcasting executives that there was more opportunity within WCW than what they previously had realized. Mm-hmm. So it was not only important revenue in terms of the bottom line and thus getting closer to break even. It was the fact that we were able to create a brand new source of revenue that never existed before that impressed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, Ric Flair well, made some comments about Gene as well. And I think you're the perfect person to kind of give your take on, on this. He said that uh, with the way that announcers are featured now, it's a different way. It's a much different role than it used to be. And that there will never be another mean Gene simply because that's not the role of an interviewer or an announcer anymore. What uh, are your thoughts on that? I said the exact same thing in a couple of different interviews. I, I haven't heard Rick. Um, but that's just – it. Rick is absolutely right. You know, the, the nature of television, the nature of television production across the boards, not just wrestling. Everything has changed. 
Um, wrestling in particular, the nature of how it's produced, <clears throat> not only in terms of how it's presented, but just technically how it's produced, it has changed. The, the volume, the sheer volume of content that WWE is producing now requires that you you do certain things differently. And one of the things that I think has been greatly affected over the last 15 or 20 years, really, has been, you know, the, the device known as the promo. You know, it used to be a really great character-building device, um, storytelling device. You could shoot angles in a, in a well-done promo or interview segment. Now, I mean, they were, they were part, you know, the interview segments were a part of the story. They were a plot twist in many cases, or in some cases. Now, the segments that you see where someone's holding a microphone like Gene used to, that's as, that's as close, that's the only similarity there is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you see those types of segments, they're simply segues and transitions. They're not really, they don't really, if, they're, if, they're, if they think or if they're designed to be character building um, devices, they're poorly used. Um, not to be critical, but it's my opinion. Um, but for the most part, when I watch them, the content is very, it's like, I don't care. You know, everything you just said, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't get my attention. You didn't make me believe. You didn't make me f- feel bad for you. You didn't make me, you know, angry at you. You just, you just talked. Mm-hmm. And that's what Gene used to do. Gene could tell this. And as I said this, you know, the other night too Rick everybody if you were a wrestler you wanted to work with Ric Flair because Ric Flair could make anybody look good in the ring he was that good he made me look good (laughs) he made me look marginal (laughs) but that's saying a lot (laughs) and 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 Rick had that reputation well so did Gene Okerlund Mm -hmm. Gene Okerlund could take a green talent or some talent that was just really nervous or wasn't really that good at giving their own character over telling the story or paying off the promo um and Gene, Gene, before you knew it, that, that young person, male, female, whoever, would walk off the set and was like, wow, I did a really good promo. Well, not really. Gene did. For <laughs> <laughs> the benefit of that. But whatever. Feel good about it. I also have it on pretty good authority that the WWE now has a one-year non-compete in the contract for announcers. Thoughts on that? Too long? Unfair? That's what people sign up for? It's okay? What do you think? I think it's so individual, you know, if, if someone were to, if, if Mean Gene were still with us today, and let's just say Mean Gene had been estranged from the WWE for three or four or five years, and then Mean Gene were to go back to WWE, Mean Gene has built his own equity over the course of 30 or 40 years. Mean Gene became Mean Gene Oakland in the AWA long before he got the WWF. Hulk Hogan was called, calling Mean Gene Oakland Mean Gene Oakland long before he got to the WWF. So the, the Mean Gene character, what, WWF benefited from that. It, it came to them. They didn't create it. Right. And I think when you have a character like that or a talent like that, they shouldn't be restricted by, by non-competes. On the other hand... You know, you make a commitment when you when you hire talent, whether it's in wrestling or any other form of entertainment. Actors have the same thing, by the way. You know, there's a lot of restrictions on talent, even in reality shows. When we produce when I was producing reality shows, a lot of them, you know, between 2005 and 2016, really, 
Um, the talent, now these are not even actors, there's no unions involved here, mm -hmm. but the talent that was associated with all of our reality shows were under all kinds of long-term restrictions because you're investing a lot of money in that piece of talent. You're, you're spending a lot of uh, time strategizing and planning and all that kind of stuff. So I can see from a producer's point why, you know, you would want a one-year non-compete, but it's also... You know, it's tough on young talent. What happens if it doesn't work out? Are you off the market for an entire year? A lot of shit can change in a year. Mm -hmm. People can forget who you are in, in a month. And in a year, you know, you're starting over again. So I can see both sides of it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, no one's cut us off yet. This is usually <laughs> the time we wrap. Do you have another minute for us, sir? I got a light. I got all, you guys are fun. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that because I have a really I think, fun question for you. Are you familiar with this spot that happened a few weeks ago? Uh, a young female wrestler named Priscilla Kelly that involved a tampon. Do you know what I'm? Do you? Do you uh, are you privy to what I'm referring to? What sir? a segue! <laughs> yeah, I you know I saw that like everybody you know on social media. It, it, shortly after it happened, it was all over the place. I saw it. And, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, disgusted. I mean, to me, that's a – I've never been a fan of cheap heat. If you're not telling a story, if you're not really building a character, if it's just a, a, a heat spot for a heat spot, that and that wasn't even a heat spot, in my opinion. That was just a gagney spot. It doesn't serve any real purpose. I mean, where, where are you going to go with that from now on? Is she going to do that in every match? You're going to have to reverie check her cooch every time she gets into the <laughs> ring. Here, let me make sure you got your boots aren't, you know, full of lead and you don't have any weapons in your elbow pads. And, oh, by the way, drop your drawers. I got to see what you're carrying here. I mean, it's it's stupid. And and, and I don't I, – I just don't understand it, you know. I'm not knocking it if the people there liked it, whatever. Obviously, the girl she was working with didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but you know, I don't, I don't judge people. I, I guess I try not to. Whatever they do, they do. Doesn't make sense to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think you are about the last of uh, of the old guard to weigh in on that. So it was very good to get your thoughts. <laughs> Was everybody else hot about it? Yes, very much so. Jim Cornette had some very extreme things to say about it. Who else? Oh, does? Jim Cornette. I mean, Jim well, Ross, Gail Kim. Gail yeah. Kim didn't care for it. Uh, Tessa Blanchard knocked it. Yeah, I mean, I look. I don't. I can't imagine anybody liked it. I mean, who would say? God, I thought that was a great. Spot. Actually, Tommy Dreamer put it over. I, do, I think Fo Foley put it over too. Yeah, but it's like, what the hell? You know, but but you know, for the most part, I don't think anybody would would go. Wow, that was a really cool spot. <laughs> I, I I just think. I, I mean, it makes me. It just makes me wonder what people are thinking. You know, what got what made her get up in the morning and go, oh, can I get a cup of coffee? Oh, what am I going to do today? I know. I'm going to pull out a used tampon and use it in the finish. <sighs> Where did the thought come from? Who thought that that was going to be a good idea? And I would love to have been a fly on the wall as they're all bouncing around different ideas on how to do it. Yeah. So, weird, just parallel universe. I'll set answer your question. She can't possibly do it every match. <laughs> she can do it every month. 
Boom. All right. Well, before we before we pull you Thank down you. too far to our level here, we will we will let you go. But we uh, we hope to see you again next week. I'm sure all the fans will have burning questions for you. And again, just um, a really fantastic tribute to Mean Gene. So thank you for that. Way to end the show <laughs> with a little with a little princess wave. Thank you so much. Thank sir. you. Eric. We will thank talk you. to you next week. Have a good see one. You. Thank you. I popped myself there. <laughs> you did, you did. Hey, we covered it all today, and we don't have a lot of time, so follow me at Christy Reports. Follow me at Real Rosenberg. George Hermosa. Oh, G Hermosa. G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. <laughs> at Steve Kaufman, K-U-F-M-A-N-N. Make sure you hit subscribe, and we don't know what they're covering next week, but we will be here with Eric Bischoff answering your questions. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 